Welcome to Run It Again, Episode 9. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Coming up, we'll discuss why quarterback Dak Prescott did a reverse field and did not sign the long-term contract the Cowboys offered him. And the challenge of COVID-19 and youth club sports. Don't forget to visit runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. You're listening to a Benstown and McBay Media Podcast Network production. We'll be back after this message. There are families that will go hungry tonight. Every day, people who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The need is greater than ever before, and your neighbors need your help. Donate today to support communities facing hunger during this time of uncertainty. Every dollar you give can provide at least 10 meals to children and families in need through the Feeding America Network of Food Banks. Please make a donation today at feedingamerica.org. Thank you. Get ready for the Learn Again podcast. Huddle up! Huddle up! Every week, you'll be hearing stories that take you beyond the daily sports grind with unique insight from former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. Just feels like the college football season discussion gets more and more complicated. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on earth, Super Bowl winning coach Mike Martz. I do think professional sports has such an impact on the American psyche that I think everybody's going to want to try and get this up and running in some version of it. We'll connect you directly to the source and tell you what's really going on. The biggest issue is, and I think this is important, is they're not exposed to family either. Oh boy, that's going to be interesting. With conversations and tales from guys on the inside. So click the button to subscribe for free and you'll get episodes sent straight to your phone every week. It's Run It Again. Welcome to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Marks. Well, it's bright and sunny today. Um, time to get out and play golf, I guess. <laughs> Man, you- <laughs> we got a we got a crew of people coming through here this week, so we're kind of screwing around trying to get ready for everybody. Oh, yeah, a crew of people. Well, we Is have you know the friends, friends and family. Yeah, they kind of rotate through during the summer. We just kind of entertain up here for the most part, and uh, we've got uh, a bunch of old Fresno State buddies are coming up. Um, uh oh, yeah, they come every year. And uh, we kind of play golf and goof around there for about five or six days. So they're all coming in here tomorrow. I hate to think some uh, adult beverages would would not be consumed in the next three or four days up there. You know, it's kind of interesting because what you know that we have a terrific view here from the deck, and so in the evening, do you think as we get older that that might be the case or whatever? But it just isn't. So you know, we had we had a couple up here once that was in the group, and they they kind of wound up party well this is not the place to party <laughs> so we had to kind of get them straight but anyway it's kind of a rest and relaxation just kind of hang out and you know see each other once a year so it's it's pretty cool it's very laid back and yeah you know it's such a beautiful spot you know it's just pretty incredible yeah you got the truck up there uh, well i've got a couple trucks up here i've got an old beater <laughs> that i that i get firewood and then i have the truck that i have yeah Man, I hope you're not trying to do a bunch of work now, because I, I well, know I have you are. You, I was <laughs> laid up too, buddy. I was laid up. Hey, wait till I go cut firewood. My son-in-law is going to come up here in a few weeks, and you know he's a big dude, strong dude. So we're going to go get some more firewood. But here's the thing, Ron. If if you have if somebody sees you purchase firewood up here, nah, 
You're ostracized, buddy. You got to go cut it yourself. If you oh, if you buy firewood okay. up here, that's just the worst thing that you could do. So that, that's that real man's territory up there. Yeah. I yeah. see. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. You can't uh, you can't do all that, man. That's no. You see some guy pulling up at your place and unloading firewood. People were just tisk tisk. You know that's not that's not going to work. <laughs> I got to ask you, man. Would I be able to find a black barber shop up there? No, but I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done it, but I'd be happy to try, Ron. Oh, 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 man. Okay, I'll keep that in mind in yeah. case I get in a bind. Hey, I, I'm talented now. I'm a, you know, I'm a Renaissance man. I can handle you it. You sure are. Oh, man. Well, we're going to have to get up there to see you. I know you've been, yeah. you've extended that invitation many a times. We made it up to, to Lake Coeur d'Alene. Right. And that was beautiful, but that's that's a lot further north than you are, right? It is. It's the same kind of environment, and just not as many yeah. people. That's probably yeah. kind of a jet set area up there. This is more of a laid back. Uh, it's a vacation destination for a lot of people in Boise and the Northwest, both in the winter and yeah. the summertime. So we kind of yeah. found a place by accident, but it's been cool. Yeah, yeah. I should mention our listeners that's uh, up in Idaho. So I refer to that as uh, God's country. Very nice land, very nice, uh, nice place to visit, definitely. So yeah, it's beautiful up here, it really is. Well, man, uh, I, I, you see, Dak Prescott went ahead and signed that franchise tag. Did, did that surprise you? Not really. I mean, that's kind of who he is. I, I think the biggest deal with that is he could have held out and not gone to camp. That's just not who this guy is. You yeah. know, he he yeah. wants to be there. He wants to get a deal done. Uh, I, I guess his agent, um, Todd France, I think a year ago, a little history of this deal, they really should have got a deal done with him. And because the Cowboys went on and signed other guys, they kind of put him on the back burner, uh, taking advantage of kind of his personality and his willingness to acquiesce and just kind of, you know, having faith that they'll do the right thing. Well, they, they kept, right, you know, putting this thing off and then it's gotten a little contentious. So it, it didn't surprise me. No. Cause I know he wants to be there and he wants to learn the new system and get into camp and do all, he doesn't want all that. So that part yeah. of it doesn't surprise me. I still think they can get a deal done before the 15th of July. Yeah, that's right. So now it's, it's 30, roughly $31 million. It's a one year deal. And uh, you alluded to this pretty much. It keeps him from holding out. Not that he is, that type of guy, not that he no. wants to. Yeah, no, he, w- he would right. never do that, right? Right, right. Well, he's okay. So, in a, in a sense, he's uh, delivered a message to the team. Listen, I know we have a negotiation here. I get it. I know how important it is. But I want to be a part of the team. I want to move forward. I want to make football first, and then uh, the money's important. But let's let's get the business end of it taken care of while I'm playing football. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and I think really they, they probably will get it done before July fifteenth. The biggest, I think, the biggest uh, stickler here is I think they have agreed on the money. I think they're looking at about a hundred and five hundred six million guaranteed, and about right. thirty five million a year. So, um, so that uh, thirty five million a year thing against this con- against really it's it's more a little bit more than the cap count now on the, on the franchise tag. So, yeah, the franchise tag doesn't hurt them at all by signing yeah. for that. You know, yeah. the the biggest stickler here is the Cowboys want him – they start off at seven. He won three-year uh, terms. The longer the contract is better for the Cowboys because the money gets amortized. 
right? So a yeah. seven-year contract is way, way better than a three- or four-year deal because, you know, all that money that, that's out there in the signing bonus can be spread out, and so the cap count each year is less, which allows them to do other things with money too. So now that's the biggest issue right now. He wants four. They're at five years. I think they'll probably acquiesce and give in to him and do a four-year deal. Why does he want four years instead of five? I think he is that good, and I think what he sees in four years is, you know, he gives him more flexibility. And really, after three years, he'll start redoing his contract again, you know, at least negotiating with it. But mm-hmm. the biggest mistake the Cowboys made, Ron, was not getting this thing done a year ago. <laughs> you know, when they right. had the chance yeah. to, and then they just went on and, you know, started doing other deals with guys, you know, to retain him and all that. But they – they didn't make him a real big priority, and I think they kind of assumed that he'd just kind of go along. Uh, I, I don't know that, but I just got that feeling, and, and now they're right. in this spot. I think the money part of it's probably done. Now it's just a question of do they want to do this over four years or five. Well, were the Cowboys being arrogant about it from an administrative standpoint? They figured no. Well, I don't. I don't know that it's arrogance as much as it is. They just kind of took him for granted, to be honest with you. If you know Dak at all, if you've been around him, one of the nicest people, engaging, and he right. is a team guy to the hilt. You know, I mean, he is yeah. what you want. Yeah, just a real good guy, and is going to always try to do things and, and help. And they just kind of felt, I think, that they could probably get this thing done. And they, and some of it has to do with the agent, too. They probably, Todd France, I don't know him, but they may have felt like uh, in the past and their dealings with him have been probably pretty easy. And they just felt, well, we'll get this done. You know, right. I just think they took him for granted, to be honest with you. Right, right. Does this bite them in the keister next year if he has a great year and let's say they win this thing? Um, could this now – they, in essence, could have to spend more money. Well, on a long term deal, that is. Yeah. They could. I mean, the numbers will definitely go up now, but he could also sign another tag. I think yeah, if he has he a great be. year, and I think he will, I think the Cowboys will be a great team this year. I really do. I think during the course of the season, perhaps something will get done. I don't, I just, you know, they'll at least agree to it. And then when the season's over with, they can structure it and put it together. But I don't think this thing is going to get to that point. I really believe by July 15th, they'll get something done. You've seen a lot of great quarterbacks in, in your day. Does he have what it takes to win it all? Most definitely he does. Yes. He he's done some things under duress that are really unusual that just only the great ones can do. Uh, being in the, uh, well, the meeting rooms with him and watching and listening uh, he is he is a footballaholic. He loves what he does. He yeah. pre- he's a relentless guy in terms of preparation. He wants to do it exactly the way you want to do it. Um, he's a team guy. He's he's uh, he has a just an, a very engaging personality. He's a leader. I mean, he has all those things. He has unique ability as a passer. He can defeat a pass rush with his legs if he has to. Uh, he's all in. He's got all the ability. He's a quick read and react guy. Uh, I don't see any nicks on the guy, to be honest with you. I don't see any flaws. And and they're I think they just kind of assumed that they could sign him because he is an all in guy. I don't I don't think yeah. they ever saw him playing in another place. So to answer your question in a long winded fashion, <laughs> he has the ability and the potential to deserve this kind of a contract. Yeah, you know, I had a chance to meet him a few years ago. Oh, you did? Uh, he was out here in California, you know, throwing, you know, like guys will do in the offseason. They'll bounce around the country and, 
and then have these impromptu workouts. And, and it was at a junior college over here. And, uh, he, you know, he recruited some of the, the, the local players to run some routes for him. And, you know, for a junior college receiver, man, that's that's just like a dream come true. All of a oh, sudden yeah. you're you're catching passes from Dak Prescott on the field on a on a, on a Friday yeah. afternoon in February or something. <laughs> and and uh, afterward, I, I grabbed him. Did uh, no, no, understand? I, I didn't I'd never met Dak before this. And I said, Dak, you got to do me a favor. Would you please take a picture? with a couple of these kids you threw with, they're, they're afraid to ask you, you know, that whole star thing. And, yeah. and they just, and I, I can't let you walk out of here. If you tell me no, then I'll say it's no, but I got to at least ask you for them. And he not only took pictures with every receiver and, and, and some other guys, you know, he sat and talked with them. I mean, he went the, the extra mile. And like you said, Mike, it was, um, it was authentic. It was organic. Yeah. It was real. It wasn't, you know, a, a great media opportunity for him because there was no media there. But that just speaks volumes to what you're saying about this young man. I and uh, I, I wish him the best. I hope they get it worked out. You know, if you've met him and been around him, it's impossible not to like this guy. Um, the only, the only other thing I was going to ask you around about that is, did you get him on the basketball court? Did you get him on that eight foot <laughs> basket that? You've been known to dominate up in no, that area. No, but speaking of basketball, now here's a, a, another uh, side to this story. Jimmy Butler, the, the basketball star, he uh, they're, they're good friends. So they had a bet, and the bet was that Jimmy Butler couldn't run a route or catch a, a pass from Dak Prescott. So now Dak is back <laughs> there throwing. I mean, they're throwing sixes. They're, they're throwing uh, – you know, they're trying to run seven routes, but a lot of the basketball players didn't even know what that was. But so he's <laughs> he's he's letting it go, right? Yeah. So I look up and I'm watching Jimmy Butler run. Let me tell you what moves well. I mean, as you would expect from a lot of NBA players, you know, they they move well in space and and he was fluid and he caught the ball well. So I look up and Butler's walking off the field jogging back into the locker room. I said, where are you going, bro? He said, oh, I just got to get another glove going here. I mean, this glove is bad. <laughs> well, what, what had happened is Dak had broke his finger. Yeah. <laughs> he threw him a hot one in there, popped his finger, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't want to tell anybody. No, but, no. Oh, man. But you know, Ron, you, you know from, from being around guys and catching balls from some of those quarterbacks that – uh, even with gloves, you can tear your skin with some the way that ball comes in and and pop a finger oh, so boy. easily. You know, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, pretty that's, common. Uh, yeah, Donald Driver used to count the fingers. He'd hold up a hand. Say, Let me see. He's broke this one, this one, <laughs> that one, that. One. You know, talking about Brett Favre. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he was he was a hard thrower. I mean, there's some guys who's one of the hardest throwers you've ever seen or coached. Well, I think Brett's probably. Uh, got takes the title on that one. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody can throw a heat like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I think he, I think he stands out there pretty much by himself. Although Elway was probably real close to that. Watching yeah. Elway, both we coached against him in college when he was at Stanford. You know, just watch him in the warm ups. It was just he'd take your breath away. That ball come off his hand. Now, boy, I'll tell you what, that was. Oh a, no, you could hear no, a whistle. Yeah, you, you and you can hear that ball whistle. A lot of people oh, no don't question. know that a football, if it's thrown right, it's got a whistle to it. <laughs> yeah. It definitely oh. does, and you don't want to be in the other end of that, you oh, know, unless boy. unless they're paying you to do it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so my highlight, one of my highlights growing up in in this NFL game was I'm at the Rams training camp at 
probably age 12, 13. And I'm catching for the quarterbacks as they're warming up. Now, you, you may have heard of these two quarterbacks. The first one is a guy named Pat Hayden, oh, yeah. the former SC great. And the other one is a guy named Joe Namath. Now, I'm, I'm catching for Pat. So that means Joe Namath is throwing to me. And they're, they're just warming it up, right? They're just stretching that rubber band out. But every minute, the ball's coming a little harder, a little harder, a little harder. And so by about five minutes later, it, it, it feels like full smoke. And to hear that ball whistle on the way in, and you know, I can't drop one. Now, my dad's a coach on the team and, you know, all that stuff. I can't drop in. I can't look like a, like a fool out here. So I, I'm pretty sure that was the beginning of, of stretching out my ligaments on my finger that led to permanent damage 40-some years later. But You know, that, it's that interesting that you said that about Joe Namath. Um, when I was in high school – you know, at the beginning of his career at the Jets, they came out to play the Chargers, and they worked out at Claremont High School, which is just not that far from my house. And so we right. went to watch him, and he was warming up. Like you said, he had the gray sweats on with Jets on and all that. And they're just going to go through a light warm-up. And he stood flat-footed, toes forward, and just turned his shoulders and flipped it close to 70 yards. <laughs> just a torso turn, Right. A Just a, kind of I've put, never yeah. seen, I never saw. So in his prime, I think you'd have to put him right up there. You know, yeah. I don't yeah. think people realize the arm strength that he had. I mean, he could absolutely turn that thing loose. Yeah. And that's the first time I ever really heard the ball whistle was just watching him <laughs> in practice and hearing that yeah. ball come off his hand was something else. It's something else. Uh, Jeff George was a guy and I, 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 you know, Jeff obviously, you know, played in the league quite a while. Um, he had that that kind of torso turn where and he could let the ball go down by his waist, which I hated as a defensive back because Mike, I couldn't see the ball. Couldn't come off his I'm hand, not, yeah. Right. I need I like to see that ball. That's why I always laughed at, at college coaches that would teach the quarterback, then I put that ball up high by your ear. Yeah, hold it up there. As a safety, I'm like, or corn, I'm like, yeah, that's – put it right there. So now I can see it and come, and I'm breaking. As soon as your hand comes off, your lead hand comes off, and I'm going. Yeah. But, you know, that that's – he he was one of those guys. He could just kind of twist and, and let that sucker go a long ways. He's such a big, strong guy, and, and he had that big cannon of arm. I don't know. I wasn't around him much. Uh, we played him once, and and uh, he, he has that great arm strength. But um, – Yeah. He's probably up there as well, but for my money, Farb, I think you're right. He's he's probably all time rocket arm. Yep, yep. Well, we'll we'll speak more on this as the NFL season approaches. All right, coach, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Run it again after this message. Not too long ago, there were people who never dreamed they would need help feeding their families, but then the pandemic hit and their income suddenly stopped, leaving them with no means to buy food. Now, these are people you know, your neighbors, but you can help. If you donate just $1, you can provide at least 10 meals for these people through the Feeding America network of food banks. Imagine what $10 would do, or even 20 Please donate today at feedingamerica.org. Thank you. 
Run It Again is an inside look at the players, the coaches, and the business of sports with former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. And two minutes later, I was back in the same Oklahoma drill that I got the concussion from. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf, Coach Mike Marks. And we want to force him into a vanilla defense and go to work. Run It Again is a hard-hitting, no BS podcast that connects you directly to the source. This is Run It Again. Welcome back. You're listening to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Be sure and join us every Tuesday for a new episode. The NFLPA has, in somewhat of a way, discouraged group workouts. And it's, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. We're going to listen to the soundbite and uh, react afterward. The NFLPA released a statement Saturday discouraging players from joint workouts as the coronavirus pandemic continues to spike. The statement read in part, quote, in light of the increase in COVID-19 cases in certain states, no player should be engaged in practicing together in private workouts. Now, several NFL players on eight different teams have tested positive for coronavirus in recent weeks. The statement goes on to state, quote, we are working on the best mitigation procedures at team facilities for both training camp and the upcoming season and believe that it is in the best interest of all players that we advise against any voluntary joint practices before training camp commences. Now, the NFL's 32 teams are currently scheduled to report to training camp at the end of July. That was Sports Illustrated's Madeline Burke. Well, what do you think of that? Is the NFL PA on target? Are, are they a little over-aggressive there? What do you think? No, I think it's the right thing to do. First of all, you know, you get guys working out together. When they leave that workout, you know, you don't know the contact that they've had, where they've gone, and inadvertently, you know, if there's three or four guys working out together, one guy could, you know, destroy <laughs> these other three guys for a few, you know, weeks just with the being, you know, picking it up there. So I think it's a good idea, you know, because you can't control the environment around them from where they're leaving and coming into yeah. it. So I think by, you know, by that estimation, I think it's probably right. If they were going back to the same place and staying there in a hotel, like, potentially is going to happen in the league, then that's a different story. But here, you can't control those things off the workout. So I think it's a good idea. So now the NFL appears to be less optimistic that fans can attend games this coming season. And I think that's fueled by some of the outbreak increases in Florida, Texas. Some of the states that began this whole virus thing with not a lot of action but all of a sudden things are picking up, you know, in a negative sense, obviously, for them. So the league is maybe starting to get cold feet in terms of this fan thing. What do you think? Well, I think if, you, if you're if you the NFL and you look down in the future and look at the potential of what could happen of a full stadium, just one full stadium, not let alone, you know, seven or eight of them around the country and the result of it, and what could potentially happen to this country because of attendance in those games, it's kind of scary because ultimately that means you're responsible for that. You know, like we refer back yeah. to that soccer game in Northern Italy, 50,000 people broke out of there. And, and in essence, that's what spread it around Italy. So there's a liability here too. And I don't know that they've thought a whole lot about it, but it sounds to me with a second wave, depending on how big and how long that happens, 
you know, they've got to understand the potential of disaster there for the country. Well, and if revenue drops because you're not going to have fans at the games, then that in turn can affect their bottom line. And we could see that manifest itself in the salary cap drop possibly in 2021. Well, I would think so. And I think really risk and revenue, you know, what's more important, right? So right. the risk of, of really potentially having uh, thousands of lives as opposed to the revenue loss. You know, you just, if I'm the NFL, you got to do the right thing, right? Yeah. No, well, you have to. And, and they can talk one way, but at the end of the day, you hit it on the head, you know, safety first, and they've got to they've got to do what they're supposed to do in that regard. Something you should know. Well, speaking of revenue, uh, forget pro sports. The youth club sports are in jeopardy. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of kids now are not able to play and, and and sign up for the youth sports. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, Mike, that's a big time money business now when you talk about club soccer, uh, baseball, you know, the, the little league baseball systems, uh, girls softball. Yeah, and when you get to the club level, you're talking about traveling, you're talking about extra fees, you know, the, the money dynamic changes in that. It's become more ex- exclusive and private, but that's that's in jeopardy. Youth sports alone will probably bring in close to $19 billion yearly from all youth club sports. That's a lot of money when you compare that to the NFL hanging around $16 billion, NBA around $8 billion. That's That's staggering. It is. It, it's the leader by far in all the sports. So when you lose that, you know, that $19 billion for the most part goes away. They're trying to, you know, keep it alive with the – you know, with all the different rules and the social distancing and cleaning the, the basketball and, you know, all the different levels that they've set up to yeah. try to get this thing done. But, you know, there's so many sports and so many coaches and so many, many venues that how do you police that or keep track of it? And some are have more capability of, of doing those things than others. So, it's gonna it's gonna affect it how much I'm, I think we're gonna have youth sports hopefully but at what level and how much involvement will be I don't know yeah now those uh, those numbers there provided by our producer Huge. yeah Roy Hamilton and thank him for that he, he uh, got that for us there uh, but now I, I go to the next level again okay so what what is the answer going to be you know football youth sports from a football standpoint youth football was starting to drop when the whole concussion thing really took speed in the NFL. Okay. And I, and I remember a lot of parents and maybe rightfully so pulling their kid out saying, no, we're not, we're not going to play. You know, every ter- everywhere we look, we see a story about concussion, the damages, long-term effects of concussions, and it's just plain spooked a lot of parents. So now you couple that that's still lingering out there with this, Man, that that's that's a money killer. But you know, Ron, even before the concussion issue, which was a huge hit for high school athletics and particularly football now, but soccer had also made huge inroads into the population of these athletes. Sure, they're choosing yeah. other sports. So yeah. there's there's been a trend there for twenty years anyway. Yeah, and and I do know from being on the competition committee, this is something that we used to address often, and and trying to address that and keep 
young men involved in, in youth football and high school football. And I think it's the USA football. I think that's the one that's sponsored by the, the NFL. They have committees assigned yeah. to this, trying to help uh, and, and encourage kids and, and getting them into these organized uh, uh, football associations. So I, I think that this has been, you know, having this corona, coronavirus thing going on, now kids – that are not committed on a team. They're just playing because their buddy's playing. They kind of like it. If they don't play this year, will they come back? If you're a junior, do you come back to play your senior? Probably not. You know, there might be a handful of guys that are just absolutely football nuts and want to play, but if they take it away, they find other things. And in today's society, there's so many other things to do. It's not like when you and I were young, you know, I mean, that's what you did. You loved it, but there's just so many other things going on. Right, right. Well, let's run this again. Uh, we're talking about pro sports. Let's go on to NHL. And the latest news on the NHL's return to ice is, uh, you know, they're going to begin training camp in their own cities July 10th and travel to host cities on July 24th. Testing will be kind of like it's projected for most of the other pro teams every day or every other day. Um a total of 11 players have been tested positive and they're looking at six cities to pick two of the six as hub cities, meaning cities that they will rotate playing every week between those two cities. NFL isn't doing that, but the NHL is going to go that, that route. Do you like that? I do. I think, you know, you, it's just another part of trying to control all the possible factors. Uh, that would have an impact in terms of transmitting the disease. So anything that you can do to keep it within that bubble of these players, I think is important to do. I think uh, with 24 teams potentially involved with this, um, you can isolate it. You get into a routine with it. Uh, the NFL, I don't know why they wouldn't do it other than the venue situation, right? I was going to ask you that. Why wouldn't they do it? Is it too many teams? Well, think about, think about this. They're still hanging on to the thought that they can fill those stadiums. Yeah. And, you know, so they're, if they, if they had written that off to the point, Ron, where, you know, look, we're not going to have fans at the game or we're going to limit that. Then they would have access to other venues. Well, they got these big, you know, look at Vegas, right? Dallas, all these, big, beautiful stadiums that are going to sit empty then, yeah. you know, and they didn't. Right. So they're hanging on to that. If yeah. in the end it gets to the point where fans can't be there or diminish part of it, then maybe something like that would have been possible. But I think from the very beginning, they were going to hang on to the fact that there's going to be people at the games. It would work for the NFL if there were no fans. Then it doesn't make any difference where you play really. It doesn't, right, right. And, and hockey is going to jump right into the playoffs. 24 teams going right into the playoffs. And they're going to pick two cities as hub cities, meaning they will play their games, all of their, their playoff games, between those two cities only. Now, they've got six on the board to pick from. Chicago, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Toronto, and Vancouver. So, so two out of those six are going to be the hub cities that will host the playoffs. That's going to be pretty interesting. So, but Ron, man. by doing that, they have a system. They use the same hotels, yeah. same planes. Right. Everything will be the same. And so there's a, a system that they'll put into place. And you're not there's no variables, right? You have the same – there's a consistency to what they're 
using in terms of, you know, the travel and the, the hotels and all that sort of thing. They can control it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't, I think the NFL, they're in love with their facilities. They spend a lot on the facilities and I know there's a difference between a, a hockey arena and an NFL stadium, but I, I don't feel like the NFL owners are, are that eager to, uh, to close up that building and, and rotate somewhere else. I don't know. No, but that would be the, that would be the last thing before you go to not playing at all. I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and they would have had to decide this a long time ago yeah. in order to be able yeah. to make it effective and put it in action. And I think hockey is different, you know, because the, the, I guess probably the number of games that they play and they travel so much anyway that, you know, I think the right. NFL with, the few games that they have, it's just important that, you know, the identity, there's an identity there for them. Yeah. Strange times getting stranger, man. What's next? What's going to, what's going to happen? Don't now? say that. <laughs> oh boy. We're halfway through the year, Ron. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's, I can't, I don't know if, if people are excited about, football coming back or all sports coming back or are they more nervous about sports coming back or do they just are they like me i don't know what to expect because then i when as soon as as soon as i see a plan in place then i hear a guy come out someone like fossey and say or fauci and or say well be careful um there still could be a mid-season outbreak and this thing could a, a second wave come in they keep talking about that second wave then what well, there's such an inconsistency in terms of the virus itself. Well, you can get it through contact. Well, no, not really. It's an aerosol, and you it, it, you can't mm. get it. You know, you're going to protect people with a mask, but it doesn't protect you from getting. You know, all, there's so many different things that keep coming up. It frustrates everybody, and then the media uh, constantly keeps this in your face. You can't turn a, a news program on without seeing it every day. And there's always something different, something new, and you don't know half the time what to believe. Some of it's accurate, some of it's not. Hey, that's, that's the a, key, Mike. You don't know what to believe. Yeah, and I think it scares yeah. everybody. It scares me. You don't know whether this is true or not. So the truth in there is someplace, but it's hard to find. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the situation like up there in Idaho as far as outbreaks? Well, I think it's been pretty – uh, level up here. I actually went through the hospital yesterday. I was driving by, so I stopped in. I said, "How do you get tested around here?" And, and they said, "Well, you have to have symptoms and you know call in." They gave me the number and all that kind of thing. And I'm yeah. I'm not going to get tested. I'm fine and all that. But I just wanted to know uh, kind of what was going on in such a small uh, town like this. And they're on it, you know. And everybody up here, for the most part, if you go indoors, like the hardware store, you've got a mask on. And everybody's yeah. good about that. But once you get outside, you know, the you know, the fresh air and all that, the mask comes off. But pretty hard to water ski with a with that <laughs> mask on, you know. Not that I'm gonna I'd be like pulling a cannonball through the water, you know. So I'd you never see my big old fat rear end on water ski, but pulling um, a cannonball through the yeah, water. That's just not gonna work. Uh I, I would pay for that visual actually. That's not as ugly, Ron. It's ugly. <laughs> It's ugly. It would be oh ugly. Oh my gosh! You see, now you used to. Yeah, I used. To, I did. I did water ski at one time. I water skied maybe three times in my life, and it was a painful event. That was it. It was a painful event. Huh? Painful. Yeah. Okay. Well, hitting the water was painful because the guys that were pulling the boat thought that was going to be fun to get you thrown in that big arc out there, and 
Yeah, you right, hit, right. You hit a little deal and you go and that hit was the it. wake and then yeah, yeah you gotta do those flips and all that stuff you see on that that like destroyed in seconds type. I look like a comedy know. act. I ended up with about two gallons of water inside of me, you know, just instant splash, you know, that's what they called me after that splash. Splash. But you but you say the golfing's okay, right? You're still golfing. Okay, Unbelievable right? courses up here. Yeah. I really yeah. enjoy playing golf and it's that people come up here to golf. There's only two or three courses up here, but they're great courses and a lot of fun to play. And just the scenery as the, the mountains and whatnot, you're playing, there's deer, elk, you know, wandering around. We've played a number of times with elk out on the course. So, which is unusual because oh, yeah. they're skitterish, you know, they don't, you know, they're not where you can usually see them easily. So that's yeah. it. Just a, it is a postcard up here. No, it, it absolutely is. I'll tell you this, uh, this was a couple of years ago when we were on vacation up there in Coeur d'Alene. They've got the uh, floating green on that golf course. Oh There's yeah. A, a, yeah. A green out. That, yeah. I can't remember which one it is, but it's, it's in the middle of the lake and it's, it's a par three, but it's surrounded by lake. And my son and I are golfing and I'll be damned if he doesn't par that thing. He I really? think he was like, uh, 13, 14 years old at the time. Yep. Yep. And, and we're still golfing, and it's that's fun, man. So, is that something to be able to play with your again. kids? The first time yep. you start playing with them? Yeah, my oldest son, yeah. he he used to go to the golf course with me to hit balls, and he picked it up. He had a passion for it. So when he was thirteen, fourteen, he was playing. He'd walk over after school and play. So he he became kind of bit by the bug, you know. Not yeah. too long after that, he could beat me easily. And not that oh, yeah. I was a good golfer, but you know. It, you know, yeah. it's a lot younger and thinner, and I could actually see the ball without bending over, you know. So here he plays when he's about 16, 17 years old, and here he is at, on the tee box, right? So my first question to him is, you know, that's kind of interesting, your stance. What are you, what are you <sighs> talking about? I've never, aren't you standing kind of far from the ball? Right away it started, yeah. And then do you breathe in at the top of your swing or at the bottom? Oh, right away he starts thinking about yeah. it. So it yeah. took him about two years before he figured it out because he would always just absolutely fall apart. You know, he, <laughs> he let him start off a little bit and get his momentum. He's beating pops after the third or fourth hole easily. And then all of a sudden the wheels come off that wagon, buddy. Boy. I'm never going to let you do that to me again. <laughs> yeah. That's, it sounds like my dad. That's the stuff he used to do. Yep. Start talking to you, just slowly getting your head. Yeah, man, man. Well, no, you're you're st you're fishing, aren't you? You do some fishing, don't you? A little bit. You know, the fishing yeah. up here, the trout fishing is, is ridiculously good. The river, you know, yeah. the fly fishing. If you're a fly fisherman out in the lake, yeah. it's. Yeah. I don't fish a lot, and I like catching fish. I don't like fishing so much. So, you know, I go in yeah. the mornings, or I have a little spot over in the river where I've never not caught fish. So when the bug bites, we kind of go over there and throw a line in. Yeah. Well. Who was the uh, – where was he at? Uh, Arizona? Uh, Tobin. Did you, you did you ever know him, Tobin? Uh, just, I can't remember his – I didn't know him. I met him. Uh, I knew yeah. him professionally just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was a big-time fly fisherman. He used to talk about going up in those parts fishing all the time. Whenever we'd be in our production meetings, it seemed like he would begin and end the production meeting talking about fishing. Well, Jeff Fisher we used to come through football. here all the time. Yeah. Same thing. He, he and his son, they'd – they would actually pack through here and sleep on the river, and, and they just would they would go for weeks at a time, just uh, kind of roughing it completely. I mean, they were true. They wow. were real fly fishermen, so to speak. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, my friend, that's it. We've, uh, we've covered everything from Dak Prescott and the franchise tag to youth sports, losing about $8.5 billion with this virus thing in the NHL, looking like they've got it all together. And, uh, of course, now I know where to go get a haircut. I got you covered, buddy. Come on up. What do you want me to use? How how do you Uh, want me to cut it? I got got a little tiny chainsaw I use for limbs. We could get kind of get it started with that if you like. I don't have many limbs up there anymore, so you don't really need to sharpen the blade. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And get a bowl. That might work too. I can do that. Yeah, I I know you can, man. It's going to have to be a small bowl. I've seen the size of your head. That's a little thing (laughs) that you got going. They'll have to use a cereal bowl for it. That's right. That's exactly. It's going to be a short haircut. The boys tease me every time we go get a haircut. So they they time me. I think uh, I'm about three and a half minutes on these haircuts these days. They need to give you some money back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, Mike. You enjoy up there. You guys have a great time. I know you are, but uh, enjoy. Thanks, Ron. Always good talking to you. Now, don't forget to visit runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we hope you enjoyed our show. Be sure and join us next Tuesday for a new episode as we examine our dossier of this season's NFL rookie quarterbacks. Remember, we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little. Be safe, everyone. Run it again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Martz, a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network's production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ted Woods, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Run It Again Podcast.